Good morning, everyone. My privilege, my joy to worship with you and to open God's Word with you. We're back in the Gospel of Mark today. Last week we looked at verses 9 through 15, and this week we will be looking at verses 16 through 20. I'm going to start reading from verse 14 just to give a little bit of context. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. To understand this passage today, we're going to look at a few questions. And those questions are, who are these men that this passage is talking about? Who are these men? Secondly, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And thirdly, what does it mean to be a fisher of men? So, first of all, who are these men? Well, Simon and Andrew are brothers who were fishermen by trade. Simon is later renamed Peter by Jesus, and that is the name he is best known by today by most people. James and John were brothers who were also fishermen by trade. And as we see here in this passage, they were still in, in, a, in a business partnership with their father, Zebedee. And these four men became part of the twelve disciples. And that's disciples with a capital D. And these are the first four of those disciples that Jesus called to follow him. We'll meet the other eight disciples a little bit later in Mark. We don't read as much about Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, in the Gospels. We don't hear very much about him. But Peter, on the other hand, comes up again and again and again at key points. As we'll come to see as we keep studying through this Gospel, he is very enthusiastic, very outspoken, and he more or less becomes the unofficial leader amongst the disciples. The brothers James and John um, are the the other disciples, along with Peter, that we read the most about in the Gospels. And these three men, Peter, James, and John, become almost like Jesus' inner circle amongst the twelve disciples. The men Jesus was closest with and spent the most time with. Now, broadly speaking, this term disciple, it means a learner. A student. And uh, during this time in Israel, uh, it was a common thing for there to be a rabbi uh, who would have 
students following him, learning from him. And we'll see, um, uh, sorry, learning from him as he teaches from the Old Testament, right? Teaching God's word to his students. And we'll see throughout the rest of the Gospel of Mark that just like this, this typical rabbi and student tradition, Jesus had disciples who followed him and learned from him on an ongoing basis. So once they're called by Jesus, we see that these disciples are almost always with him through the rest of his life. Now it's important to realize that in one sense, everyone who believes in Jesus is a disciple. And that's, we'll use, we'll say that's capital with, uh, sorry, that's disciple with a lowercase d. Jesus is the rabbi, the teacher of all Christians, and we are all his disciples. We are the learners, the followers. It's also important to realize that in another sense, these 12 disciples, can remember these, these four men we've seen here today, are the beginning of, of these 12 disciples. Disciples with a capital D. In some ways they are not like other Christians. And that these 12 men, who lived with Jesus during his three or so years of ministry here on earth, were also called by Jesus to be apostles. The 12 disciples, with a capital D, are later appointed by Jesus to become apostles. And we'll look into this more when the time comes as we work through the Gospel of Mark. But for now, I'll just point out that the apostles had an important position of authority. They were called by Jesus to fulfill a unique and special role in the beginning of the church. And they were also enabled by God to do impressive, absolutely no doubt about it, miracles. And all these things are not things that every Christian is called to do, or that every Christian is given authority to do, or enabled and empowered by God to do. They are uniquely things that the apostles were called to. So, all Christians are disciples of Jesus, but only these 12 disciples with a capital D, and then later the Apostle Paul, were called by Jesus to be apostles. And as I said, we'll look a little bit more into what is involved in being an apostle later in the book of Mark. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Jesus calls these men to follow him. And what is involved in that? Well, as this passage makes clear, all four of these men left their fishing businesses behind them and became full-time, essentially professional learners, professional disciples. They followed Jesus full-time everywhere and learned from him constantly over the next three, three and a half years or so. They basically uprooted their entire lives, being away from home and friends and everything that they might have been previously involved in due to their following Jesus. Now, quite strikingly, especially for uh, an African context, I think, is what we see in verses 19 and 20. Because in following Jesus, James and John 
left a business that they shared with their father, Zebedee. And in leaving their business partnership with their father, we see that they had a greater allegiance to Jesus than they did to blood family. Now we've already said that there's some differences between these men and the, the capital D discipleship that they were a part of and all Christians. Christians with a lower uh, Christians who are disciples with a lowercase d, between what God called them to and what God calls us to. There are differences in the fact that these disciples with a capital D had a special and unique role to play as apostles, and then of course there's differences in the life circumstances and the timing of things in the unfolding of history. Of course, Jesus is not present on earth. Currently, He's not here in the flesh now. And following Him doesn't, uh, is not so clear as just packing up your things and going wherever He goes. So, how much then of what we see in this passage should we understand as applying to us as Christians today? One way we can often help ourselves come to a better understanding of a difficult verse in the Bible is by comparing Scripture with Scripture. By looking at other Bible verses that address the same subject. See, sometimes a more difficult verse will be explained by another verse that speaks with more clarity to what we are unsure about. So here we might be wondering, okay... Here is a passage that is actually specifically talking about these capital D disciples. How much of that applies to us? How much of that is expected of all Christians? Or is this just a special commitment that was expected of these capital D disciples? A passage that can shed some light on this is Luke 14. One of several. Luke 14 verse 26 says, If anyone, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is strong language. Jesus is using comparative language here. We must hate every other relation in our life in comparison to our affection and allegiance and devotion to Him. We must love Him more than life itself. We must choose and prefer Him over everyone and everything else. We must live for Him, not ourselves. And then a few verses later, in Luke 14, verse 33, Jesus says this, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Absolutely everything, friends, absolutely everything in our lives must be secondary to Jesus. And we must be willing to give it up, it all up, to follow Him. 
When Jesus calls you to follow him, to be his disciple, he is calling you to devote your life to him. To give him your full allegiance. That is true of all disciples, of all believers in Jesus. Not just the capital D disciples. Secondly, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to imitate him, to follow his example, to be like him. And there's definitely some sad examples of people who call themselves Christians, but downplay the need for Jesus to die on the cross and deny the centrality and the significance of the cross. In their minds, Jesus came to be an example to us of how to live, and that is that. Finished. Nothing more. And I definitely want to be very, very, very clear this morning that that is not what the Bible says, and it is absolutely untrue. As Brother Schlanschler preached for us in our Good Friday conference from 1 Timothy 1.15, This saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. As Dumi was quoting earlier, he came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came into this world. So our biggest question then to ask is, what has Jesus accomplished for us? And then what are the implications that that has for me in any given life situation? That's first and foremost. However, we would be unbalanced and unbiblical if we didn't also recognize that it's appropriate and right for us in any given situation to also ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? What, what would Jesus do? Because we know that in living a life that enabled Jesus to be our substitute on the cross, in living a life in which Jesus was the perfect Son of God, in living a life in which He obeyed the Father perfectly and fulfilled all righteousness, of course, He is our perfect example of what a life honoring to God looks like. Jesus calls us to follow him, to come after him. And as he tells us in John 13, he uses this language of setting an example for us to follow. John 13, 12 through 15 says, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, that's the context of this verse, just after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, including the feet of Judas, just before his crucifixion. If I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3. 
after a chapter full of Old Testament examples of faith, gives us the example, the ultimate example of a life of faith, Jesus himself. In 1 Peter 2, verses 20 and 21, Peter tells us, But if when you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you may follow in his steps. And Paul tells us explicitly in Romans eight twenty-eight to 29 that the goal of God's work in us, he works all things together for our good. And what is that good? That we are conformed to the image of Christ. God is making us like Jesus. It's very important to remember that there are many ways in which Jesus' life is utterly unique. He is the only Savior. He's the only Messiah. Only Him. But we must still seek to follow His example of holiness, godly character, devotion to God the Father, trust in God the Father, love for the lost, and faithfulness to all God called Him to. There's one example. Let's look at Philippians 2. Starting in verse 3, it says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing and took the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, the call of this passage to follow Jesus' example does not necessarily mean we all need to die on a cross. We all need to go and, and seek out being crucified. No, that's not the point. This passage instead means we imitate Jesus in humbling ourselves, in counting others as more significant than ourselves. And serving others and obeying God, even when it requires great sacrifice. So practically then, if we're going to follow Jesus in this sense, if we're going to imitate Him, if we're going to seek to be like Him, that requires us studying Jesus' life. We need to know how He lived so that we can imitate Him. So we can know what we're actually aiming for as we seek to be like Him. We can't model our lives after His life if we don't know what He lived like. A necessary part of following Jesus is growing in our knowledge of His character and life. So friends, how are you doing in these areas? Can you say wholeheartedly without hesitation that you are obeying Jesus 
in all your life. That you're living for Him in everything. That everything and everyone else in your life is secondary to Him. That you are fully devoted to Him. And are you seeking to know Him more and more? So that you've got a clearer picture of the life that you're seeking to live. The life you're seeking to model your own life after. Our third question today. What does it mean to be fishers of men? What does it mean to be fishers of men? Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. An integral part then of following Jesus is becoming a fisher of men. It's not an optional extra. It's not an add-on. It's included. It's under the umbrella of what it means to follow Jesus. To be a fisher of men is to seek to see people saved. To labor to tell others about Jesus. So that they can respond in faith. Have their sins forgiven. And be reconciled to God. And this fishing metaphor is is really a very vivid one. Fish are happy in water, of course. It's where they live. It's where they thrive. They don't want to be pulled out of the water. But men, humans, we need oxygen. We can't breathe in water. And a human out in the sea is going to drown sooner or later unless he or she is able to get out of the water, to get into a boat, to get onto dry land. So to be fishers of men, to fish men out of the sea, is to be rescuers, to haul drowning men and women out of the water before it is too late. Now again, we remember... In a number of ways, these four men had a special role to play in God's plan. And that our Christian lives won't be like theirs in every way. So are we also called to be fishers of men? Are all Christians called to be fishers of men? And we are. We are. All of us are. Again, looking at some other passages to help us bring clarity and certainty to this question. The Great Commission tells us, the Great Commission being what, what Jesus left with his disciples, his final words on earth, his marching orders, so to speak, for the church. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission he gave us, all of us. One of our memory verses last year, you might remember, summarizing the gospel message was from 2 Corinthians 5.21. And here's the context leading up to that gospel verse, starting in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you've been reconciled to God in Christ. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 
Continuing on in verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, those God has reconciled himself are called to be ministers of reconciliation. All of us. All of us. We must seek to help others be reconciled to God. We must tell others of our Savior. Faithful disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. We want to be disciples who make disciples. We want to be fishers of men. Now we all have different gifts, of course, different personalities, different strengths and weaknesses. Not all of us will be street preachers or fiery, bold evangelists. But we can and must all seek to do what we can to make Jesus known. So that others can respond to him in faith and be saved. People can't respond to a gospel they have not heard. They can't put their faith in a savior they don't know about. And some of us, of course, are are confident in striking up conversations with complete strangers. But even if you are only more, you know, if, if you do not have that confidence, if you're not comfortable in that way, I'd encourage you, still be someone who hands out gospel tracts. Be someone who invites people to church. Be someone who greets new faces at church that they feel welcome and might come back again. Some of us might have robust Bible knowledge and we're, we're, we're confident in engaging skeptics with all sorts of difficult questions about the faith. Others of us might only have the confidence to say, I can't answer that question, but let me get you together with my friend who can answer that question. But let's do that. Let's do that. Let's all pursue the salvation of the lost. It's far too easy, isn't it? Far too easy to slip back into just lying back on the deck of the boat, right? We were drowning, we were rescued out of the water, and now we're on the boat, and we're just enjoying our salvation. Enjoying our salvation and just forgetting about the fact that hundreds of people all around us are still drowning. Let me ask you, are you a fisher of men? Are you intentionally seeking to make Jesus known to others so that they can respond to him in faith and be saved? Are you seeking to grow in this? 
Are you praying for opportunities and praying for God to help you to improve in this area of your life? Brothers and sisters, following Jesus involves complete devotion to Him with your whole life. It involves knowing Him more and more and seeking to imitate His life. And it involves being a fisher of men. It involves being a fisher of men. And these are things our Savior, our Lord, has called us to. These are things we are called to. I heard a preacher once um, use this as an illustration. There's a, a game, I'm not sure if you know it, but I, I played it growing up, a game called Simon Says. And in this game, basically, you say, Simon Says, hop on one leg. And then everyone has to hop on one leg, right? And then it says, Simon Says, put your hand over your ear. And then everyone has to put their hand over their ear. And the as the game goes, things just get more and more ridiculous, right? But whatever Simon says, you do, right? Whatever Simon says, you do. And then the preacher said, why is it that it's so different when it comes to what Jesus says, right? Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, be a fisher of men. Are we doing what Jesus says? Let's follow Jesus together. Amen.